0: Well, hello, hello, and happy podcasting day. This is Rachel Vote, and this is a Good Girls Guide too. And if you're here on Anchor, you may know me from other places, but if you don't, here's some ways to stay connected with me for free content on the Book of Face, on the Instagram, on the TikTok, and then right here, of course, on Anchor, all at a Good Girls Guide too, where you can find me for free information. Okay, and then of course the VIP page where you have to be 18 years or older and a feminine energy to learn a lot about sexual wellness and intimacy building, and that group is just out of control, amazing. It just continues to grow day after day, one by one, uh, person by person, and I just can't get enough of it. So that's a great place to get some intimacy aids if you're looking for that, but definitely some free content too. And, um, if you want to expand upon what you're doing, then make sure that you connect with me to get into the Zoom class that we do at the last Wednesday of the month. You don't even have to wear pants if you don't want to, but it's a great exposure to learning some information about your wellness. If you are wanting to develop your relationships, your mental and physical well-being, your wealth, your spirituality, your purpose, all of the good things. And last but certainly not least of cool, the, the one-to-one sessions, which uh, are fantastic and the most popular because we do get to focus on you individually and um, making sure that we just to get you moving in whatever area you want to and uncovering really why you're holding yourself back as often is probably not the reason you think it is. Okay. So a good girl's guide to at Gmail is one way to contact me. My easiest method is 1000% through Facebook messenger, but I do not have a preference on how you get a hold of me. Um, and I'm eventually going to put a link to in the bio. So that way it'll be easier too. So I wanted to get the, um, plugs out of the way. Thank you, as usual, for letting me do that, okay? And (laughs) last week, it's not like I had said uh, that I was potentially going to do a second, a part two. Man, I don't i nah I put it on the back burner I put it on the back burner it's cool like if somebody decides that they want to talk about it with me or reach out to me and maybe someday I will but last week was just an emotional week I'm gonna today we're actually gonna be able to talk a little bit about this uh, I will say in full transparency that I was PMSing and when I say PMSing I feel like that's such a negative connotation so I'm just gonna say that I was all up in my feels and unaware of it because that's exactly what my menstrual cycle is like right now but that's something that I'm working towards and I encourage and empower each and every one of you to do that for yourselves if you are not familiar if you have not taken a look at the importance or the even the available knowledge Of the importance of your menstrual cycle. I I encourage you to. You might be somebody who grew up where you learned that that was shameful or dirty or you just don't want to talk about it or you're embarrassed by it. Um, I was somebody who had no education whatsoever so I had to kind of formulate my decisions based on my own body shame in the cultural cues that I received about the secrecy among passing tampons and pads to your girlfriends and so on and so forth. Uh, You need to undo all that and the reason I share that with you is because I don't find the need to continue the conversation that I had last week because I'm recognizing that It feels like I was just trying to pick a fight with no one. (laughs) And I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that to you. Um, But I mean, it's okay. Like it was something I felt like I needed to get off my chest. I do believe that there is a productive conversation that can come from it. But I don't know that I was in, I I know that I wasn't in 100% the right frame of mind. I wasn't in a bad frame of mind. But I just, I think that if I would have continued, I would have been more of a hot-headed issue. So we'll come back to that potentially. But that's what, like I said, what I wanted to to bring this conversation to, because I was lost in my emotions. And I did say to my husband with the 48 hours later, because I had an existential existential crisis via text message with him on that same day that I recorded the podcast, I believe. And so within 48 hours, I was able to reflect and go, I don't feel anything like I felt that day. What the heck is that about, number one? And number two, I really need to express this to my husband, because he probably, was so confused about the inadequacies I was displaying as well as like woe is me's I was laying all over the place um because it didn't feel like me number one and and number two it was not it was not um helpful to our situation and number three it was just it's something that I can track now it was where I was getting to that if I can track my emotions I can track my cycle then I'm gonna have a lot better understanding about my time and patience and execution and the things I'm doing and the reason again that I said that is because when i um try to pick apart i guess i would say what i was feeling and it wasn't even about mlm and it wasn't even about the industry it really wasn't even about work it was just a, a ball of emotion in general that i was feeling mad and when i dissect mad mad is just a mix of a whole bunch of things like hurt and angry and frustrated and oppressed and confused and unempowered is a better word than oppressed i think but that's the feelings that i felt felt lost and that i was seeking answers last week was difficult for me because i was in my head i was in a place that i felt inadequate so I was quite literally asking a lot of people and this is, I mean, by the way, we're in the podcast if you didn't catch on to that, but chaos to change. I don't know if that's where we're kind of going with that, but that's what that's where I was feeling is that I was seeking out these answers because my mind was so chaotic. I could not formulate a decision. I was paralyzed by fear. Because that's where my ADHD brain rolls is that I am somebody who projects into my future that does not exist constantly. And if you can relate to that, I want you to screenshot this right now and send it to me in my story. Because there are three states of mind that you can live in and you can't live in more than one at the same time. You can live in your past, you can live in the right now, or you can live in your future And the gift of living in the right now is where we should be. It's the appreciation for this moment. My heart is beating. There is air in my lungs. There is a beautiful view of trees right outside. The sky sky is clear. There is not a cloud to be seen. It's perfect weather because the window is actually cracked. It's beautiful. That's the moment of now. But the moment that Rachel tends to live in is, oh my gosh, I need to book another party. Oh my gosh, I need to book another client. Oh my gosh, I need to network myself. Oh my gosh, I need to follow up with that person. Oh my gosh, I need to tell that other person hi. Oh my gosh, I need to order that thing. Oh my gosh, I need to pay that bill. Oh my gosh, I need to connect with my partner. Oh my gosh, I need to get off this phone. Oh my gosh, I need... Oh my gosh, I could go on forever. I could go on forever, but that's that is what I do is I hyper focus on a a list of things to do. And um, I'm sure it started sometime from this idea that that's how I measure my productivity and success is by accomplishing things. And that was then validated by the way throughout my entire uh, programming years. But you know that's difficult, Uh, that's a difficult place to live because in a future that doesn't exist means that there is quite literally endless possibilities. We've talked about this before, right? Even as I sit in this chair, thousands upon millions upon unlimited amounts of things could happen. I could sit in this chair and continue to record this podcast. I could sit in this chair and Tony could knock on the door. I could sit in this chair and Olivia could knock on the door. I could sit in this chair and pass out for some reason. I could sit in this chair and my internet could cut out. I could sit in this chair and uh, a car accident could happen right outside of my house, right? There is literally an unlimited amount of possibilities of things that could happen in the future. So for somebody who lives in a future and you try to project any potential, I'm sorry if you can hear background noise because I did leave the window open a little bit, Any, uh, if you're projecting into all of your potential future, Features, it's exhausting because it's not only unlimited, but even if you weeded out the ones that did not necessarily directly impact you, like for instance, a car accident having an outside, it would probably affect me because I'd probably have to be a witness to it. But it, I'm not involved in that crash, right? Uh, so that's my point: is that when it when you suss out all of those those possibilities and you only even leave the possibilities where you could be directly doing something, uh, take a nap, exercise your body, eat lunch. Uh, solve a problem, follow up with a client, right? when you when you even just subjugate the the only options that involve you and your actions, it's still an exhausting amount of possibilities. So if you're somebody who lives in that, then you can probably relate to this because that's what I do, is that I feel so paralyzed by making the right decision. Which is the right decision for me, which is the right decision that will project me into the future that I really want for me and my family. What is the what is the future that will give me stability and security? Because that's the thing that I seek most. And so then my brain gives me the soup of all of the options that I run through my brain so I need to do that to get this one I need to do that to get this one I need to do that to get this one and it's exhausting because not only can you never pinpoint the future it's it's impossible to predict um it, it just it makes you feel I mean it depletes you but it just makes you feel inadequate I feel like I should be able to make this decision I should be able to stand in my own decision-making skills and feel confident to do so. And I was not there last week. And so that is that is why I say you need to be tracking your cycle. It's something that I'm committing to in 2022. I have started now, um, this is the baby steps of it, because I'm somebody that needs to form a habit. So I know that I've got three more months to be able to get into the flow of tracking this thing regularly so that it really benefits me. And I am going to encourage you to do that as well. Because the conversation that has been really plaguing me, I feel like, is... When we feel lost and we start to seek those answers from other people, what do we? What should we really be doing and why is it important, right? So as I mentioned, you know, last week, like uh, for example, I had a dinner with my spiritual advisor, one of my, my adopted mamas, somebody that I love dearly. And every time we get together or every time I reach out to her with a concern or a question, she's always incredibly comforting and very nurturing. And I would say provides the answer that I'm looking for, but... Realistically, I would tell you she just provides the space for me to be able to figure out the answer, or at least supports me in the feelings of inadequacy that I'm feeling, so that I can move past that to find the answer. And that's important because that's what I was looking for last week. As I'm feeling completely overwhelmed and not knowing what to do, I poured my heart and soul out to her. And I have known her for the better part of probably twelve-ish year. No, I'm probably ten. Let's just go with safe, play safe to say. 11, 10 to 11 years. This is the first time ever that I, 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 you know, poured my guts out. And she said to me, you know, I don't know, Rachel, I don't have the answers for you. And I think that I had to pick my jaw up off the table. Because <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? You never not know have it. You never not have the answers for me. What is this about? And before I could even utter those words, she said to me, it's, it's cool, though. It's really fun. Um, it's really fun watching you. I know you're going to figure it out. And I didn't even have a a, like a retort to that. I I couldn't say anything like, no, I'm not going to figure it out or how dare you not give me the answer. It was still what I needed to hear, which was how fun I get to watch you figure it out. It was kind of like some validation for me that, okay, well, I guess I do have to figure it out. But that wasn't even enough for me. I was still enough in my own head that I still took all of that word vomiting and brought it home to my husband, like I'd mentioned. you know, I spilled it out to him and was like, here's where I'm at, here's what I need. I don't know what to do. Blah, 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 blah. I just fast forwarded it through the entire conversation that it probably took me four hours to get out with him, by the way. So I pour my heart and soul out to him and he says to me, I don't know. And by this time, I think I'm ready to like pull my hair out. I don't even know how many other people I ended up probably speaking to some friends or whatever about it. But it was just this knock upside the head for me that it was like, nobody knows the answers for me. Why should they? They shouldn't know the answers because their life is not my life. And even if we're intricately linked together via a relationship somehow or even by blood, those people are still never going to know my full experience. They're never going to know my full intentions. They're never going to know what runs subconsciously in the background of my brain that motivates the behaviors that I, that I carry out. How on God's green earth should I expect them to know what answer is right for me? Even if, even my therapist wouldn't be able to tell me what the right decision to make in my life. Ethically speaking, nobody really can. And it's such a freeing Realization and also a scary one at the same time because then it then there's no what other excuses do you have? You don't have any other excuses except that now you're it's your turn. It's your turn to make the decisions. So now they gotta make the decisions, you know what what do you do? I mean, like, like for me it, it felt really powerful because in that same instance where I was having this aha moment of nobody can make the decisions for me, I felt just as secure immediately following with this thought of Okay, good, so that means I can't fuck this up, right? Because I can make a decision and somebody may be able to judge me, but where were you before when I needed the help to make the decision? You weren't there. You weren't there when I needed you. So I had to act on my own accord and I gathered all the evidence from all my 35 years of experience of this life that I have lived and determined that this was the decision that I needed to make that would be best for me to trajectory me into the future that I want. So that's what I did. And even if it's not quite on course, I get to redirect and I will never fuck it up as long as I continue to try. I will never get it wrong as long as I'm showing up. I will never feel amiss um, as long as I don't allow myself to be paralyzed by that fear. So I hope that you'll take a little bit of heart to that and give yourself grace because it's not to say that I'm going to be a total badass next week that you're going to see me on Forbes cover and entrepreneur of the year and that i will be able to wipe out all my consumer debt within a week because all these orders and parties come into me. That's not what I'm expecting. I'm expecting to feel a little bit more secure in the decisions that I do make. I'm feeling I'm expecting myself to remind me every day that yesterday was a hard time to make a decision, but today will get better. And I didn't make all the decisions I wanted to make yesterday, but I'm going to try again today. And I don't know that I made all the right decisions yesterday, but I'm going to be able to sit down and reevaluate what is best for me now giving myself that permission and giving myself that grace and allowing myself that empathy to that that I was never raised in an environment that promoted critical thinking for me you know like education based sure but when it came to your real life stuff that's not a class you take at least that I was ever given as far as I know I don't know you can tell me if I'm wrong So why is this so important, at least to me in this instance? Well, I I think that we have to switch this conversation to look at the contribution to the collective consciousness when we make decisions like this for ourselves. You know, I I guess I can't say that I I don't think that all women uh, feel the way I feel about making decisions. I'm sure there's plenty out there that were programmed in an environment in a culture that was very supportive to do that. And I suppose that there are men out there who feel just like I feel, feel paralyzed to make decisions. So I'm not making any generalities that this is a one gender inclusive type of trait by any way, shape or form. However, I do think that, um, I do think that men will benefit more from this and then collectively the world from it as well. And so here's what I want to say. Okay. Cause like I, have been kind of curious to this um, self-researched information about, you know, the dawn of time of man, because I'm fascinated with the change over from running on a subconscious mind to a conscious mind or a primal mind to a conscious mind, however you want to view it. Now we're not the same species that we were when we were Neanderthal and Neanderthal. I mean, those are two different species of human. We are Homo sapiens. Um, and so there is that to throw into it, into the mix. It's like, it's not like one day, one human woke up and all of a sudden was speaking fluently and was ready to make tools. It is an evolutionary process. And there is, there is, um, there's, I guess you would say ongoing conversation that more than likely different species of, of primitive man ended up breeding with each other. And that's how we started to mix. And that's how the evolution continued to happen. But more importantly, most of the conclusive evidence that I have seen through several, several different resources is that the the dawn of man started from, I would say Africa as a location. But the more important part about that is it was somebody with dark colored skin. It was a black person. It was somebody who had a lot of melanin. Uh, and I think that's an important contribution to talk about because you can't deny um, in, in any walk of life, in my opinion, that culture and community is really, really important to people that are black and brown, Hispanic, um, black, Native American, well, Native Americans as well, but I was going to say African Americans, all all cultures, I would say, I was say all cultures but white people, but some, some people of European descent, like Russians and uh, Germans, have really strong heritage and and a focus around culture i would suspect but at least from my my life experience living in the united states white people have the least amount of community out of all the cultures out of all of the type of people out there I, that's my experience and it wasn't something that i thought about but a lot growing up number one but but two that i really had the um, availability of, of kind of reflecting upon until recently because I'm not close with my family the way I was growing up because growing up I probably would have been able to argue well we're close as a family but we really weren't uh, or we kind of were I would say like you know you got together for the holidays and it used to be like um, obviously if you're in Nebraska you know that football's big here so we used to get together for the football games too but that was really kind of it when I was a kid that we used to camp. But I, my, the progression of our relationship, this is what's most important. is that So, yes, I can remember when I was a kid spending much more time with my family through lots of different experiences. But then when I became a teenager, it became no more camping and it was more of just the holidays and it wasn't even the games. And now we don't even get together as much. I mean, we try to get together for the holidays. Obviously, last year, something kind of effed that up. But we don't do all the holidays like we used to. It used to be Easter as well as, I don't know, whatever. But now it's like just Christmas and Thanksgiving. My point being is that there's an evolution of especially white people segregating themselves from their community. Some of this is actively chosen uh, through this idea. If you think about how we used to have communal space in communities and all we've done is gotten smaller and smaller and smaller, even though we still congregate in cities and towns, but now we live in neighborhoods And now within the neighborhood, we live in our own house. And in that own house, we have a security system. And within that house, we also have a privacy fence. So we do everything we can to keep everybody else out to become the one nuclear family. And while family is important, and I love my children, and I love my husband, community is just as important, if not more, because not only does it help for people to literally become a community where you rely on each other and not just your individual self, as well as your one unit family, uh, which is slim to none. You know, you rely on each other to pass on information. You rely on each other to withstand the seasons. You will rely on each other for all of these things that you already know that I'm talking about, even if you needed to modernize them. You don't ask your neighbors for cups of sugar anymore, but you do you damn well used to. So when we look at the greater good, when we look at the greater good, it is a thing. You can't deny that collectively, you know, as, a, as the world, we all are something. And the reference to this in the spiritual realm is the collective consciousness. We are all, beating with the the heartbeat of the world. Like quite literally the earth is an alive thing and the trees pulsate with it and if you put to put your feet on the ground, um the the resonance that would beat through your body eventually, it's called grounding. It's the same thing. And so we are all connected whether we believe in it or we want to talk about it or we really have time to reference it or not. But the reason that's important is because when we reflect in our individuality, it does create this ripple effect through the greater good. Okay. And so the reason I say that is because I've mentioned in the past that I don't like to say this, but it is something that is easy for people to relate to, is that we should be treating each other like toddlers and dogs. The way that you would treat a toddler and the dog. Most people, most people. And so what I mean by that is that, you know, um, we have more patience. Generally, we understand that these beings don't fully understand. So it's our it's our job not only to imprint on them on how to behave and be socially acceptable, but um, it, it just, it, it feels more natural I would at least say to my generation, I can say growing up that maybe my grandpa's generation, it wasn't kids were to be seen and not heard. And they probably worked a lot more than children do in this day and age, which is good. There's child labor laws for a reason, but it's just, it's just the conversation is that I believe it's changing more to this, but it, it it just comes naturally. It comes naturally for us to be softer and sweeter to creatures in general, but especially dogs because we've domesticated them and to children and treating people as toddlers and dogs, we need to especially do this with men, okay? With with men who tend to be white, with men who tend to be heterosexual, with men who tend to identify as men from birth. I think that it's incredibly imperative that we do this. And there is a difference in speaking condescendingly and treating people like children versus having the view and patience that you would when you talk to a child or a dog. Okay, now we're going to come full circle to this, but let's talk a little bit why, um, you know, I think that we have the ability to do this. Previous histories and civilizations, you can go out and do your research if you want to, but there is so much proof that women were at one time edified, goddesses reigned, that there was an understanding between the divine feminine and the connection to not only Mother Gaia, planet Earth, but to humanity and that's not even, that's not even outside of our culture, or I'm sorry, our, um, our civilization, indigenous people, especially Native Americans, uh, they 1000% understood the importance of both divine feminine and divine masculine, but the hierarchy of the importance of having a matriarch, it's so important and so important. So it's not too far gone, but it's definitely not something that in, um, the Western philosophy that women are edified or that they are placed on a pedestal or even even seen as a as equal for crying out loud. Okay. That's too bad. Right. So the divine feminine feminism, the divine feminism has ruled at some point in, in the history of planet earth, at least on one occasion Now, I also believe that there is this sense of duality. That's what the world is about. Like, we believe that if there is a good, there has to be a bad. If there is an up, there has to be a down. We always think there has to be an opposite thing. We always think that. And so why I say that is because if we are operating from a divine femininity, we're not going to be operating from a divine masculinity. Okay? And the reason that's important is because I don't know exactly when it happened but through religion and through politics and through whatever else, I'm not really sure because I'm not going to act like I have done all of the history on this, but there was a switch where it went from divine feminine to divine masculine. And this is so important because um, from my understanding that we have lived under a divine masculine rule for so long that it's going to be switching whether people want it to or not, or even recognize that it is. And I think that if you really sat and thought about it for a little bit, you already feel it happening, especially if you are a woman. You already feel it happening. Uh, and the conversation I just had about like being a parent at this age um, or even being a generation ahead or even two generations ahead and realizing, you know, that you're softer with children or softer with animals, especially as you age, that's something that comes natural to us. It comes natural to us. Femininity, nature, and um, caring. It comes it comes naturally to us to be that type of person, right? So I don't, I don't know that both things can rule at the same time. Experience tells us no, not on planet earth in this reality. We always believe in duality, but from the experience that we're witnessing, I think that really empowers and emblazons, especially women or people who identify with the feminine nature, uh, that the change is coming. A change is coming. And I might be wrong in a sense that they can't identify um, in this reality at the same time. I hope that I am. I hope that I am. Because at this moment, I think that what, what we're seeing is we're seeing the divine masculine to its extreme. I think it's been present and prevalent for the history of man, but nobody else, I shouldn't say that. Okay, well, I'm gonna say this, but I'm gonna clarify. Nobody else was aware of it. And when I say that, that just means that women, women, white women, were not aware that they were being misle- misled and misguided um, by a false sense of security through white men. They And they definitely benefited from that power right alongside them. And I'm gonna talk about that in a little bit, but I do believe that people of color um, all over the world have known not only the importance of uh, collaboration, but the importance of the divine feminism and the fact that they were being oppressed um, and so on and so forth. And so I'm gonna take it back to the white women thing for real quick. Cause I had a conversation with a coaching client today and I think that it's really just important to say is that recognizing my own biases has been very difficult because I knew that they were there, but I didn't necessarily know what they were about. And while I don't consider myself racist by any way, shape or form, I definitely know that there's things that I need to tap into that were programmed to me, whether I believe them or not. Um, And so you can probably relate to that with your, with your influence. But the, the reason I say that is because through my own biases, it's been the filter that I've had to examine people that are close to me, people that I love who may have not examined their own biases and privileges yet. And by me just standing by and not questioning or not asking or not calling them out on their own. It only makes me feel icky now, which I think is a good thing because it does mean that I'm progressing. It means that I am becoming a better human being. I'm understanding my responsibility that by sitting by and doing nothing is taking part. It's contributing to that toxic masculinity that is currently present in a sense of power. And what I was saying earlier was that I do believe that it's been present for decades and decades and generations and generations, but there's something that has shifted, not only in a sense of platform because everybody has a voice, but any potential hear my heart when i say this but any potential twist of history or any potential whitewash of history anything that has happened or easily could happen previously it's not as easy these days it's not as easy to it's not as easy to run from your past it's not as easy to um, to be a bigot or a racist or a sexist um, and say those things out loud and not have repercussions or have um, the greater good say, hey, that's not okay. And I don't know what make, would make you think it was okay. All of that's that's shifting, all of that's happening. And so you probably recognize that is what toxic masculinity is about. It's, it is, it is unfortunately the extreme of the divine masculine ruling. It literally does that. It rules by power, um, not by, by, well, I'm going to say that it does rule. Here's what it, it should rule by power, but it ends up ruling by force. And those two things, get they get very confused, but we're, that's where we're at. We're in, we're in a time that things are being ruled by force. All right? And I really wish that there could be a balance, and I hope that there is. And why I say that there is a potential of this shifting now, here's why I say that, is because we're coming from a time where it, it's been man or woman we've talked about this before. It hasn't always been that way. It hasn't always been that there was only two genders that people accepted. But in our most recent history, we've, we were only identifying men and women. This, we were only identifying men and women. We were not doing more than one um, or more than the two, I'm sorry. But as things are progressing into conversations about gender fluidity, Uh, Everybody, in my opinion, at some point, we are going to eventually stop putting male and female on birth certificates because gender fluidity will be the bot, the bias. I'm sorry, it'll be the foundation of where we start. We will start by potentially putting X on a birth certificate, and we will watch and identify how that person grows and then chooses to identify as they grow up. And I think that that some people will think that is batshit crazy. Like, how will you ever just let a child? They already do. Do you not have little girls who ask to cut their hair short? Do you have little girls who still identify as girls but want to be tomboys? They already are. We just preset the label for them before they had the chance to make the decision. That's going to change, in my opinion. And the reason that is so important is because what you're seeing is not only an acceptance of gender fluidity, but you're seeing an acceptance of the understanding that both... Divine feminine and divine masculine traits can exist within one single individual, and they do. All aspects of the divine feminine and the divine masculine do reside in every single human being, they do. You just choose which ones, and it might be daily, it might not be that your entire life you identify as this one identification in terms of a percentage of feminine, masculine, or anything between. Um, there's going to be so much, that's why we call it gender fluid, but right now there is, there is more understanding and becoming acceptance. Like I said, of have housing both traits. I've used this example before I'm going to use it again. In our relationship, in my marriage, my husband likes to cook. It does not make him feminine because he likes to cook. He likes to cook because he likes to cook. He's a chef. It does not make me masculine because I don't like to cook. It makes me a feminine woman who doesn't like to cook. So That doesn't mean that the masculine lives within me because I don't wanna cook. That's not a feminine trait, cooking. What it does mean is that when I feel like I step into my power, when I am secure with myself, when I make decisions, that is my masculinity. When I am feminine is when I am soft and when I'm nurturing and when I'm caring. Those are feminine traits and each of us houses those. Just like I'd mentioned, when we get old and you see old white men who can then be compassionate to animals and children, and you're like, that person has never breathed a compliment in their life. How on earth are they patient and kind now? That's because that's their femininity finally finding its way through the cracks of masculinity that have been covering it for decades upon decades. It's a little bit of the feminine. It's not a masculine trait. It's, It's a masculine presenting person identifying with their femininity within them. That's what it is. That's what it is. So you're going to see that more frequently, okay? The balance is not here yet. If the balance was here, we would have equal rights, equal pay, embracing menstrual cycles as I talked about like before. We're not. We're vilified for that. We are, that's something we shouldn't be talking about. That's something that women don't even get the ability and access to know properly about when they are not only born, but then coming into menstruation. That's not something that is praised in this culture. It just isn't. And it's crazy. Ugh, okay, so... If you think about it, this again, this is just my experience, but if you think about it, it's quite literally, though, the most important people in the world who maybe aren't acting as nurturing or caring as we would like them to be, okay? Most of them are men. It's not to say that people who identify as female aren't out there doing bad things, but people in power primarily that are abusing it, however you define that, would be of masculine qualities right and so what are they doing they're acting like toddlers who are not getting their way are they not because please again not making an acidine statement i don't do that much history uh research in in this regard in terms of fighting of wars but correct me if i'm wrong or is anybody has anybody ever gone to war for something that you know was for them meaning like did you did you go for yourself did you go to fight individually for yourself or was it for a greater good and gonna take that one step further, were you convinced that it was for your greater good? Or were you really fighting for something that your government wanted you to fight for? Both could be true, by the way. Both could be true. But when men in power don't get their way, they withhold from their own people or from the world. They cause destruction to their own people or to the world. They connive and um, manipulate to their own people in the world. And again, women could do this too, but women, there's not enough women in power to say that. There's not enough conclusive evidence to say that so many women in power act just the same way men do. We don't know. But what what do you suppose could happen if we added and sprinkled in some more femininity? If we sprinkled in a little bit more caring and more nurturing and more vulnerability and more um, empathy? Again, it's not to say that the pe- people in power currently couldn't do that, but the people in power who are in power right now are not displaying that. They're not... And I would, I would also say, especially in our current government system, the women who are in there, not all of them are, are, are either, just as a... To be fair, okay? So um, as we were talking about earlier, we're not very old as a new species, right? You remember that. We're not very old. 200,000 years old is the estimate of Homo sapiens. So we've had consciousness for an estimated 200,000 years old. And the world, the planet itself, is millions and millions and millions. I'm pretty sure it's billions, but does it really matter? When you look at a comparison again, uh, it's, it's not... It's, there's no comparison. The world is older than us. The world is smarter than us. The world has the ability to survive much, much more tangibly than we do. So, when we started off on planet Earth, again, even if you look at this again as a different species, not as Homo sapiens, we quite literally were animals at one point, were we not? We could not communicate the way that we do now. We were very primitive brains. Uh, We did not make tools. So we ran from a a primal mind about survival only. That's how we started. We started as primal only, uh, which makes sense. But we have climbed the intellectual ladder over the years. We quite literally have. There's been proven studies that we continue to get smarter and smarter as a human species. That's important. That's important. And obviously that's not only because we have access to information, but we have global connection and global speed Uh, We have the ability to call people on their their bullshit, right? We're, We're not just susceptible to only the images that were being presented to us. We have more choices. And so there's so many reasons that are contributing to this truth. But it is true that as a species, we continue to get smarter and smarter. But I also want to say, when you say that, when you say that we have the ability to get smarter and smarter, we also acknowledge that we are then, in fact, maybe not the smartest that we could be. We know that we're not. And that's really important, right? Because over time, collectively, collectively, I read a book about this. And so you don't have to agree with me, but it just really got me thinking. Collectively, as a human species, we're only about 12 years old. Meaning, if you pooled everybody's emotional intelligence on planet Earth... I would say adults, and I don't know if you would go from eighteen and above or whatever, but I think you you get what I'm going with this. We're only collectively acting as twelve year olds do as a species, okay? And that's important number one because that checks smart people, okay? Um, as somebody who identified as a smart person, um, or I was told I was smart, I still do think that I I'm pretty cool, 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 but I wouldn't say that I'm really more than average intelligence. But I was definitely. Um, I was definitely indoctrinated into thinking so. So that really, will put it in perspective, you smarty pants out there, you're probably not as smart as you think, okay? You're probably not as smart as you think. There is the potential to be so much smarter. You know an exceptional few who are above this curve. Um, this would be like your Sheldons, for example, right? Um, so they're above the curve. There's not a lot of them, but there are people out there. So we also have been able to see what our potential for intellect can be. There is nothing that says that I could never be as smart as Sheldon. Do I have enough time on planet Earth to probably um, memorize or identify the same types of information? Probably not. It doesn't mean that the, the, the capacity is not there for my brain to to take it. If his is, mine is too. Okay, Um, theoretically speaking, but I think you got what I'm saying. Okay, so in addition to that, it also allows us to see where we need to go or where we get to go. So there's still so much we do not know. There's still so much that we are babies. And because we are babies and then we make these scientific discoveries, it's like we all of a sudden think that we are so big and mighty, but we forget how small we still really are. So that's important to recognize. So we're getting smarter. We're getting smarter, but we're still running around like a bunch of 12-year-olds. I would say that for myself, I feel like I, um, emotionally speaking and spiritually speaking, I probably run it at about a 14 or 15 year old. That's still not any better. I'm not still not functioning as an adult emotionally speaking, but I also know people who uh, emotionally speaking probably, um, function as 20 something year olds. So they're higher above than I am. And maybe they're not intellectually smarter than I am, but emotionally intelligent wise, they sure are. And that is important. That is so important because If there's a couple of 14, 15 year olds, which I think, by the way, majority of us women, I think that emotionally speaking that we are we are much higher in the number range than a lot of people, especially men. But we have been convinced all along that we needed to believe what we were being told. So whether that was through our husband or our dad or just a male figure of some some part or even a female female influence that was telling us. Get in the kitchen, raise your children, you know, get married or whatever. Even if that was never your ideal, it was still what was impressed upon you as a thing that you were supposed to do. So anytime you didn't do it, you felt something. You felt inadequate, you felt rebellious, you felt something. Uh, It doesn't matter what it is, but it's really important that you tap into that. You tap into it because as a 14, 15 year old, in my, from my experience, looking at all of these 12 year olds fighting, it's really crazy because I mean, you see these, they're men, they're men in their 70s and 80s who are fighting, but they're fighting like 12 year olds. And it used to anger the ever living piss snot out of me because it's like, these are people who are representing our country. I'm talking politics, of course, right now, but I had to detach from it as like a mother would. I detach from it to see these children who are fighting out here. There's nothing I can do about that except to love and honor them and offer them compassion and a free seat at the table to talk empathy and vulnerability. Does that suck? Yeah, because that is quite literally people out there who are shaping your future. Yes. But there's there's a limited amount of things that you can do. You can you can't effectively walk in and change a policy. Yes, you can vote. Yes, you can um, you know, talk amongst your community and Uh, help other people get ecstatic to vote. You can also phone people and write stuff. My point is that I can, I guess that was kind of a waste of breath. When you're looking at that particular example, you really have two options. You have the option to absorb it all and get really angry, or you can look at it from the perspective that I mentioned through loving eyes of, man, these people just can't get along and it's all about ego, and detach from that personally. The first the first example is me drinking poison hoping that both of those dou- douchebags die, you know, the, the politicians. That's what it is, is they can't get their shit together, but now I'm only miserable because I'm thinking about how they can't get their shit together. If I live from a place of man, I just really hope that they can come together and do the right thing and make decisions, you know, based on their constituents. That's what they're supposed to do. That's going to make me feel better. And even if it doesn't happen, it's still a way better feeling than thinking about how two Nimrods can't get their shit together, you know. So why, why, why do we need to kind of lean into this femininity? Why? Because I think that's part of the progress of, you know, um, the divine, divine feminine boosting our intelligence we have intellectually figured intellectually figured out how we will progress by going to college and reading books and experimenting and running studies. We've done that. We've done that left brain stuff. That's the masculine side. The right side of our brain needs to be tapped in much more frequently. Can, can you say that you you would deny that if, given two children, one who excelled in science and one who excelled in art, even in 2021, what, which one is going to be more highly influenced? Which one is going to be more celebrated, culturally speaking, more um, community-based? It's going to be the intellect, is it not? It is. We know that. We know that. And it was necessary for a while because we needed to find cures for diseases and we needed to learn about how to go to space and we needed to understand how our bodies worked and so on and so forth. But... Right brain people needed to be celebrated. Right brain people need to be fostered. Right brain people need to be viewed for the gifts that they have, which is to balance the divine femininity back into the world. And you're really selling yourself short when you yourself do not tap into your right brain side. So when you don't do self care, when you don't artistically express yourself, when you don't dance, when you don't laugh, when you don't draw, when you don't explore in nature, um, you're really selling yourself short. You're really selling yourself short. And it's no wonder we get so aggravated and agitated as 12 year olds running around planet Earth because we haven't learned to express ourselves appropriately or fulfillingly I guess I should say more importantly okay so what's really great about having these divine feminine traits that come to the surface you know like I said it's empathy and nurture compassion and patience can you imagine uh, would our world benefit from those things can you undoubtedly say no I don't think so, right? I mean, that's what we're lacking. We're lacking the empathy of pausing for a moment to hear our brother's side of the story. We're lacking the nurture effect of, I hear and feel your pain. I know why you're angry or I wish you would tell me why you're angry so that I can lovingly love you through this. That's all I want. I don't want to berate you or further cement the idea of whatever it is that you're thinking exists, exists. I I want you to be known. I want you to know unconditional love. I want you to feel that compassion. I can have compassion for you. I can have compassion for the life that you had to live to think the way that you think right now. God, man, that's got to be lonely. That had to be painful. That had to hurt. That had to hurt for you to run through this mentality that you think the way you think right now. That's got to be painful. I've got to have compassion. I've got to have compassion so that you feel safe. I got to have compassion because I wish you would show me compassion. And compassion is, is one of the most beautiful things we can get in healing because somebody shows they care right? And obviously patience, because if you've ever been around a toddler or a puppy dog who's learning how to potty train, you know that patience is a virtue. It does nobody any good when you operate from a place of short-temperedness and get your shit together and how could you kinds of mentalities because all we're doing is then nixing out this unconditionally unconditionally loved idea that Dogs always think, dogs always have, but humans are not, they're not as lucky. <laughs> they don't become as susceptible to that idea that they are unconditionally loved and easy to forgive and forget. It just doesn't work that way. So when we integrate both of these, these, these realms into this world, we will be better off and it's not going to happen overnight, but it is in the process of happening. I truly believe that. I believe that is why women are coming more into their own. I believe that is why a lot of people won't go back to corporate America and they're finding side gigs, even through sex work. That's still creativity and expression if you're doing it the right ways people are doing that they're bartering services they're going into things that feel fulfilling that is right brain that is feminine so the change is happening so whether you jump on board or you kind of just watch us cruise on by it's your it's your opportunity and option but I'm telling you at least since I've been able to embrace my feminine side um Internally, because I, as I've stated before, you know, externally, I've always identified very feminine hair, makeup, clothes, nails all the things, all the things I absolutely did very feminine. But I was driving myself very masculine, masculine type um, tough exterior, hard ass, sarcastic. You know, these were things that were identified and praised in this culture. So externally, I was very masculine, even though I identified you know, through through my skin feminine. But now I'm living through the feminine internally and it's a completely different world. And for a long time, I didn't realize that that was what was happening because I was tapping into my femininity internally. I thought that I was softening. I thought that I was tapping into my feelings and those things are true, but that's ultimately what it was, was it not? I was just becoming more feminine all around. All right, so, oh man. I would say when it comes to empathy, nurture, compassion and patience and all of those things that we consider feminine, I would love for you to think about what you think of those things do they come easy for you do you tense around using them as i just was explaining man it was hard for me to be empathetic towards people i was very roll my eyes and get your shit together kind of person you know can you imagine being able to be in a form where these traits are you know well that's what i was going to say i'm sorry can you imagine rocking a form like being in a masculine body and identifying masculine right being in that male form and identifying as masculine male, whether you're gay or not, you know, that's still the way you present. Can you imagine rocking a form like that and then having those traits not be openly welcomed? Because that's, that is what is pressed upon people who identify as masculine is that you should not be feminine. It is wrong to be feminine. Even when I operated from that place of do not touch me, don't hug me. That is something, um, you know, it wasn't welcome for me to soften. It wasn't welcome for me to do that. It wasn't encouraged. Nobody was asking me to do it. I was being praised for being, you know, more of a guy. So we have to switch our thinking. We have to switch the environment that we're providing to these people as well. So what, what, what can we do? What are some things that we can actively do amongst ourselves right now? Because when we look at changing the world, it's so daunting. But I'm here to remind you that it's actually not your job. It is not your job whatsoever to fix the world. And that's something that I still try to have to, I mean, I have to remind myself of constantly. It's not my job to fix the world. It's not my job to fix the world. And I'm glad that it's not because I would never be able to do it. So no wonder I sabotage because if I, how God's greener can I change billions and billions and billions of people? I can't, so I might as well not. So it's not your job to change the world. It is really your job to focus on you. It's really your job to show up the to the best of your abilities of who you are and continue to do the work uh, for the things you don't align with so that you can show up as how you want to be. It's your job because you are that ripple effect. Then, when you show up in your true authenticity, when you show up completely healed or working towards healing, when you show up and you operate from feeling and emotions instead of your autopilot thought track pattern that has created who you think you are, then you're doing the the right steps. You you have you've chosen to to, to do the hard work. Okay, uh, it's it's progress over perfection. I'm sure you've heard that before. It, detached from the outcome, commit to the process. I'm sure you've heard that phrase too, but these things don't happen overnight. They do not happen overnight. It will take time and you will learn to be comfortable in your skin and flow through that, by the way, because I still, some days I feel the most comfortable I've ever felt. And sometimes I feel like an alien in my body. Uh, so it's just reminding yourself gently to come back to that, practice that, and not that you'll necessarily get it right, but you're going to try to. Okay. So, One thing I would challenge you to do, number one, is to tap into the vision of the world you wish to live in. Like I just mentioned, when we're changing ourselves, that's the ripple effect. When I show up authentically and when I show compassion to somebody else, that person may then feel not obligated, but empowered to show compassion to the next person. It's that whole philosophy, like when you go through the Starbucks line, you hear stories of this all the time, where somebody pays for somebody else's drink, and then somebody else pays for somebody else's drink, and it just starts this chain reaction that other people do it. It's the same kind of thing. When you act as a good person, you will influence other people to be a good person. When you act as a strong masculine type, you will influence others to do that. Where do you think I got it from? I got it from my dad. I got it from watching politicians. I got it from people debating on television. You know, that's where it came from. So when you tap into the vision of the world you wish to live in, you will then start moving your actions and thoughts towards that world. You will start to choose to be the person that lives in that world. And that's how you start to create it. So number two, I want you to tap into the divine feelings of yourself first. Meaning, what are the feelings within you that you want to be? Who do you want to show up as? When I was being masculine, I I was doing it for protection. I was doing it for protection because internally I wanted to identify with my feminine traits, but it had never been rewarded in the past. It had only ever been consequenced or punished. So it made sense that I couldn't operate from that, and I needed to operate from this other thing that had been rewarded. Okay, so... Tap into your divine feelings of yourself first, meaning what would you like to be? Who would you like to be? How would you like to feel? How would you like to operate? And are you identifying with that? Are you actually allowing yourself to feel those things or have you been masking for years? And this is something that I don't think you necessarily will have the answer to today, but it's just really important that you start feeling, paying attention to it. Number three is tap into others' stories, especially people of color and indigenous people. One of the things that has been very eye-opening to me is that, you know, I've struggled forever with thinking that my story was enough that my story was valid my story had meaning my story was quote-unquote bad enough to have suffered trauma from and it is because it's my story and it shaped who I am and there was lack in my life there was um emotional withdrawal in my life there was a lot of things in my life that 1000% did not solidify that I came from the most nurturing of beginnings that is true but it is also true that there is so much more out there that it was imperative I heard because not only, it's not a, it's it's never a comparison, but it, it does make me grateful for not only where I came from, but for what I have. It could have been worse. It could have been worse still to this day. It could be at 35, my life is still worse. So allowing yourself to hear other people's stories not only offers perspective, uh, perspective into everything and anything, honestly, it just allows for you to really, understand how you could empathize with somebody else because you hear what they went through especially when you hear what people went through and they did something because of it they came out stronger they ended up inspiring other people whatever the case may be it just connects you to that bigger picture of consciousness in the collective Uh, because you're no longer just a little tiny peon you know that has exercised over years and years and years of evolution to have come from a community back in Africa to then have traveled to more northern places or southern places as you Um, Congregated and then separated because that's what happened. You know, I I don't think I really touched on that earlier is that that evolution of community to isolation is what happened or that's a theory and that's kind of what I'm rolling with too is that like we said, if if life began in Africa and the first person, uh, whether that was consciously speaking or Neanderthal thinking uh, was a person of color, we all originated from persons of color that had melanin and then as we started venturing north and south away from the equator, we started getting to a place where our skin had to evolve into more translucency. So that's how we became white is because we were no longer near the equator where we needed melanin to protect us from the blaring rays of radiation coming from the sun. That's why people are darker. That's why they evolved that way. Uh, we needed less and less and that's why we, we became white. So as we became northerners and southerners, We also, in my opinion, this is where I think it started to happen, and we started to shift from a place of community because there was less people, because there was less food, because there was less um, ideal environment, right? Right. We probably went from communities and communities of people, number one, going, I don't want to live in there, you're crazy, it's fucking hot, I want it, or cold, I want to go back to where it's warm and sunny, also to just dying off in the elements, I would suspect, right? So that's how we kind of became more individualized or less of a community and more of a secular family into that, um, that ideology. So that, that is just a potential thought. Right, So when you can hear other people's stories, especially people of color and indigenous people, you'll start to understand how to tap back into that collective community. And uh, you gotta do a lot of work by the way, like I don't even know how or why they would ever have us white people again, but but it's worth it. It's worth it for sure, okay? And the fourth thing I would recommend for you to do is to extend that out to others. So extend that empathy, extend that understanding, extend uh, those feminine traits and then to others. After you've given it to yourself, after you've practiced with yourself, after you've absorbed other people's information and stories um, from afar, if you feel safe to do that, maybe maybe you're not ready to get involved, um, you know, actually directly with people by building a community or getting to a networking group or whatever, then you do that by reading other people's biographies and stories. Um, hearing about them on TikTok and social media is a really great way to do that too. It's coming straight from the horse's mouth. You literally are hearing people's real-time stories in this environment of 2021 where you cannot argue because that's their experience you can't you can't say it's wrong it's their experience so they're contributing to your greater good by exposing you to the collective consciousness by sharing these stories that's beautiful so then for you to be able to then access and extend that to other people man that's gonna be good and I'm gonna tell you I gotta clear my throat (coughs) as we get ready to wrap up here I apologize for that I find that it is so much easier for me to extend empathy to other people than for myself and I would be curious how, how you feel as well, where you are in your personal development, please um, screenshot this and share with me or just private me- message me. It's bizarre because I kind of I kind of thought that maybe I would have a harder time extending empathy to other people. Because I was such a pissant, because I'm a white woman, I thought maybe, maybe that would be the case, but I'm much harder on myself than I am of other people. And I'm I'm grateful for that to be, to be frank, by the way, I know I still have biases and I know I still judge people, but I have much more empathy when people are screaming at each other and screaming at me, which doesn't happen very often, of course. But when there's conflict in place, Um, especially like during coaching sessions, right? I have the ability to step inside. I'm not even stepping in their shoes. I'm still like a third party perspective to say, I wonder what that person could be going through for them to be reacting this way. I wonder what could have programmed them at a certain age for them to think that they have to behave this way. I wonder what kind of trauma has now caused these words and these actions that this person is displaying, which is also, I mean, it's a benefit, but it's also a drawback sometimes because sometimes people don't deserve that empathy. They do, but you know what I'm saying? Like they haven't exuded any empathy to any other person on planet earth. Why should they be getting it? Well, they need to because they need to see that other people have the ability to extend up even when it's not deserved so that they can then do it for themselves. It's so much easier, though, for me to do that to other people than I am. I'm so critical of me. I'm so judgmental of me. I'm so hard on myself for not moving faster and making the right decision and um, being more of the things I just mentioned, empathetic and patient and so on and so forth. For me, and I don't know why that is, I don't know why I'm so unbelievably critical, but I would be interested to hear if that is your journey as well. Do you find that you're able to extend that empathy out to other people better than yourself or are you kind of reverse? And I don't think there's a wrong answer here, by the way. There's no wrong answer because once you heal yourself, then you extend it to other people, all right? Or from the from my perspective, once I am able to um, be patient to other people, I can then try to extend it to myself some way, shape, or form. <sighs> I feel like I literally just talked for like 54 minutes and 22 seconds straight and didn't really take much of a breath at all. But those are the four things I would recommend. Tap into your own vision of the world and what you wish to live in and start to envision that. And then know that again, all of your thoughts and decisions move you towards that or away from it. There's no more ambivalence once you've decided. Number two is tap into your own divine, divine feelings of yourself, both masculine and feminine, but definitely tap into those feminine ones. Number three, tap into other people's stories, especially biographies, people of color and indigenous people. And number four, extend all of that stuff that you learn, all of that good feeling out to other people and uh, analyze whether or not you're able to do that for yourself and others or others. Um, which which is it? I'm just curious. I'm just curious. So that is our podcast for today. I just want to thank you so much for tuning in. Um, here's kind of where I think that we're going. You know, I get, I've get, i gotten praise for the podcast being so ADHD. Like people kind of appreciate that we go back and forth all over the place and it's just spastic little little nuggets of info that come out, but I do plan on having a little bit more consistency in terms of content moving into the rest of this year in 2022, where if I can, I'm really going to, I'm going to try to tie the podcast to the the Facebook live. So then you have multiple platforms to kind of really dig into the information, but you also have different perspectives uh, because obviously a live is shorter than a podcast. So we delve more into the things here and I'm definitely less insecure when I do the podcast because I'm not on a face of, social media where people are quite literally lively watching and judging and I'm not worried about the judgment portion of it but I just get to get out of my own head when I'm not worried about speeding things up or getting content out properly or efficiently um, because I know I have an hour space to do it so anyway all of that just to say that I really hope you stay tuned Um, I'm really I'm really anticipating a lot of forward progression for all of us all of us within this community—if you're a part of the Good Girls Guide—that's um, my—that's my plan. Is I really want to skyrocket you in 2022 so that you start living more authentically, living more freely, living more fully. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to do that in terms of classes and one-to-one sessions and even pure romance parties yet. But I know that uh, I know I can do it. I just have to kind of formulate my brain to doing that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast today. If you feel like you got some value from it, I've already asked you to screenshot and share twice, uh, but. I really would love for you to do that. You can share this podcast to a friend. You can share it uh, to their email, their text message, whichever you don't have to put it anywhere publicly if you don't want to, but just let me know that you're getting something from it. I really, really appreciate that. And again, of course it validates where I'm moving towards and where I'm going in life. And it just means the world to me because you guys are my cheerleading section, as you just heard, because I'm so hard on myself. I, I just am so appreciative of the energy that you give to me to keep me going. You are the parents I did not have to, um, to cheer me on growing up to, to believe in myself. So thank you so much for that. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. I will see y'all next week, another podcast, of course. And I hope that you stay happy, stay healthy, wash your hands. Like we've always said, but remember that we're moving into colder season. The leaves are already falling from the trees. It's both beautiful and sad. I hate that that summer is wrapping up, but you got to move your body. You got to talk to somebody, whether it's a, uh, it's a paid professional or a best friend, you've got to, process your emotions you got to eat better you got to at least look at what you're eating you got to clear your mental space you got to sleep a little bit more you got to do all the things okay and my permission to you to find some self-care and really dig into that divine feminine because that's what self-care is really all about is it not is it not okay it's not about success and production it's about authentic authentically living genuinely from just existing and you can do that you're welcome to do that so that's it i love you very much have a good night bye bye how long will it go be I'm gonna go forever. Bye.